1: Hi everyone and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach and today I'm really kind of in awe of our celebrity guest, Terry Hart, who is really one of Canada's most recognized and sought after media personalities. Terry Hart is a multi-talented host. She's an interviewer, critic and producer. And since 2015, Terry has been coaching people as well on presentation and public speaking skills using her BRIEF program. We'll hear about that after executives, entrepreneurs, business professionals, students and performers have all benefited from working with Terry and learning her unique approach to preparing for any professional or public facing speaking event. Terry has been covering entertainment and culture for over 25 years, and she's conducted Thousands of interviews with some of the world's biggest superstars, including Oprah Winfrey, Meryl Streep, Robert Redford, Steven Spielberg, Denzel Washington, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, and Jennifer Lopez, just to name a few. Oh, my God, can we do two episodes for this interview? For 19 years, Terry was the producer and host of the Movie Network which is currently Crave, that wonderful streaming platform. She's also appeared on the morning show, Global, E-Talk, CTV, The Social on CTV, one of our favorite shows. We've had a few of those hosts, like Melissa Grello on this program. And as a regular contributor on CBC Radio 1's internationally syndicated arts and entertainment show, Q. She is a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association. Terry Hart was also a senior entertainment reporter and a supervising producer at City TV, responsible for producing stories for City News and Breakfast Television, in addition to filling in as a co-host. And I saw you doing that, and you're fantastic at it, by the way. She received a Canadian Screen Award nomination in 2018 for Best Local Newscast, and her coverage of Canadian icon, Gord Downie. Terry is currently the entertainment producer and host for Super Channel. Terry Hart, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thanks so much, Judy. Thanks for having me. I have to say, your resume and your career are pretty impressive. And I couldn't help thinking not bad for the girl from Brantford, Ontario, which of course is also the hometown of many other great notable people such as June Callwood, Wayne Gretzky, Alexander Graybell, and my husband, Dr. Clifford Liebrach. You studied broadcasting at Humber College where you discovered your passion for entertainment journalism, but it was actually during the movie E.T., Spielberg's wonderful film that you stood up in that movie theater, faced your dad, absolutely blown away by the magic that movies can create. Can you take us back to what happened for you that day in the theater?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I remember it. It was uh, at a movie theater in downtown Brantford. If you can say Brantford has a downtown, it certainly felt like that <laughs> as a little kid. And we were there in the movie theater. And at the end of it, I just stood up and looked at my dad and I said, daddy, how did they do that? In wonder. It was the first movie I cried at. I didn't know that you could feel an emotion for something that wasn't happening to you. I think that that is a big lesson that movies teach kids. I think movies teach people. And for kids, I think it's their first lesson in empathy. Yes. And it certainly was for me about imagining what something else must be like for another human being. And that's what E.T. did for for me, I mean, amongst a million other things, but I think that that was the big thing. It just really made me feel big emotions and made me wonder how they did it. And I wanted to keep having those big emotions and wondering how they do that thing that I still am madly in love with, which is make movies.
1: You look gorgeous on camera. I was going to say this later on, but I'm just going to say that because I found it so interesting that you started in radio. And I remember Steve Pagan saying to me once that, everybody great on TV starts in radio. It's the best training ground ever. You worked in a small radio station, then you went to the edge to Q107. And you always told anyone who wants to get into television, start off in radio, you and Steve Pagan. And as TV and radio host Steve Warden taught you, radio is a fantastic foundation. And you say he taught you a ton about interviewing and always going that one step further. Can you tell us more?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, radio teaches you how to communicate a thought from just you, your mind to somebody else, Mm -hmm. without thinking about all of this, right? And Mm -hmm. when you can just distill... What communicating is, which is actually a thought from your mind to come out of your mouth and actually resonate with another human being and and make sense to another human being, that's the essence of all communication. And radio as a medium does that Better than anything else, I think. I mean, podcasts now, but I still think radio has a real special quality. I'm really glad to be doing more radio again now in my career. Both at you mentioned Q, which is now commotion with Elmi McDougall Macmood and also I'm doing some shifts at 6:40 Toronto, which are which is super fun. Talk radio is new. I'm in my yes era, Judy. I'm saying yes.
1: That <laughs> um, That's great. <laughs>
2: and uh, so yeah, and I mean, Steve was uh, one of the. Co- Hosted the six o'clock rock report when I was at Q one hundred and seven, and he was and still is an incredible interviewer. I mean, he went on tour with you two and the Rolling Stones, and to interview them during their tours. And I mean, Steve Warden is one of the best of the best. And truly, I mean, he taught me through osmosis. I think as much as you know, conversations about. I think really the skill of being a good interviewer is to legitimately be interested, to legitimately care what somebody is saying to you. And that's all I've ever tried to do in in any way that I've been interviewing people. And I think that does come directly from Steve in those days of the six o'clock rock report and, um, and watching him do it in a way that I hadn't seen anybody do it before up close and personal.
1: So someone who I think might've been my Steve for me was Brian Linehan. He was sort of my mentor, if you will. And I I know you do. That's why I mentioned him because he worked for an arts magazine that I was the managing editor of and he would do celebrity interviews. And I guess the best compliment I ever get doing this show as I've done it for four years is, oh my God, your research is like Brian Linehan. I can't believe it. What was your connection with Brian? Because I know you've been involved at City TV for years and I know you knew him. What did you think of him? Did you have a special connection with him?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, back in the day um, when I first started doing press junkets, so press junkets are kind of when movie studios fly us primarily to Los Angeles and New York, but could be other locations as well uh, to do interviews. And, you know, the, the business has changed a lot. You know, when Brian started, it used to be Uh, 10 people on all the world would go. And now there's probably like 40 people or something. When I started, there were probably 25 or 30 people probably swelled up to 50. Now it's around 40. And (laughs) now they don't even do them in the same way that they used to post pandemic. But if we are post pandemic, but yeah, I knew Brian from, I mean, Brian Linehan was a legend. He did things that Certainly nobody else of the time did. And he did it before the internet.
1: <laughs> um, with a Rolodex, with
2: a Rolodex. With a Rolodex yeah, and a yeah, very yeah. good filing system of, yes. of different <laughs> magazine articles. And he was meticulous. Mm-hmm. And I think that of the time, for sure, Brian was a gold standard. I think that it also is impossible to imagine doing it that way same way. We don't have the, as much time. The business has changed significantly. And sure. I think part of being successful is changing with the business. I think that's an important aspect to what any of us do. And to really try hard to not be a person who says, well, they used to do it that way, or that's the way it should be done, because that's when we don't grow. And our businesses are changing so quickly, Judy, that we have to be amenable. We have to be dexterous. We have to, and this isn't saying that Brian wasn't. Brian was all of those things, but you can't do what Brian did. There's just too much volume now also. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, they used to release a movie a week. They used to release, it was a very, very different, uh, it was a different, Business in a lot of ways, True. so I think Brian, for many many people, was a gold standard. And for many people, we—it's uh, sad that that standard is no longer at play. But there are also a lot of other things at play that are really mm-hmm. great and exciting and thrilling as well. And I mean, you know, I think about what I'm able to do at Super Channel, doing Instagram live interviews with talent now. I don't have to get on an airplane and go to them. You know, we can just boom, jump on an IG live and how thrilling and exciting and possible does that make things? So, so yeah, it was a roundabout way way. It was so great. I super appreciate everything that Brian was. And I felt very grateful to have any conversation that I did have with Brian and he's dearly, dearly
1: missed. Yes, I agree. But that's so fascinating how you're describing it. As a multi-platform entertainment personality, you've really done it all from being on television, radio, online, on Instagram lives, and everywhere it seems, taking audiences behind the scenes, giving them access to some of the biggest names in showbiz. You sparkle when you talk about film and television. And yet I think it's your childlike wonder that comes through. And I suspect it's a wonder that's never changed after all of these years. What do you still love? about movies and the entertainment biz that never gets old for you?
2: Um, I think that it is, it's always unique, right? You sit down before a movie, no matter the genre, a genre could be the same. The actor could be the same. You're in for a different experience. And so it keeps every day fresh and exciting and new, Mm -hmm. uh, just based on everything that is, you know, you're absorbing. I think that storytelling is something that I've always been really, really attracted to. I often say it's a good thing. I fell in love with movies more than books because I'm a very slow reader. So that wouldn't have been as good of a career for me. But I do love storytelling. I love the creativity and the art. And I think that, as I said earlier, it is, movies are an opportunity empathy. Movies are an opportunity to see the world in a different light and to imagine experiences that we're not going to hopefully in many cases experience and in other cases want to experience. I mean, Mm. movies bring the world to us. And I think that that is um,
1: a never ending source of joy for me. Mm-hmm. You've been a great championer of Canadian filmmakers, people like Adam McGoyen, Don McKellar, Paul Gross, and Sarah Pauly, just to name a few. So how exciting is it that Sarah Pauly's film Women Talking is one of the top Canadian Oscar nominees this year? Can you tell us about how you feel about that film and, and what your connection is to Sarah Pauly, who I know you've been a big believer in her career always?
2: Yeah, well, Sarah, I mean, you know, Sarah's a national treasure. She's also a friend. And Women Talking was my favorite movie of 2022. I uh, at one point tweeted that like 90% of my personality is sticking out for Women Talking. Um, <laughs> because it had an interesting trajectory, the film, in terms of its the response to it. You know, listen, I mean, I was a fan of Sarah as an actor. I watched her when I was a kid. And then, you know, you go back and you watch her performance in The Sweet Hereafter. And it doesn't get much better than that. Adam Goyen's Oscar-nominated film. And then I became a fan of hers as a filmmaker even before she made a feature. She made a short film called I Shout Love that Kristen Thompson starred in. And it was like, oh my God. God, what is she <laughs> is she capable of absolutely anything? And then she <laughs> proved that she is. She proved yes. that she is capable of absolutely anything. And, you know, not only has she had an incredible year with women talking and the adaptation of the Miriam Taves novel that's gone on to be nominated for Best Screenplay and um best film at this year's Academy Awards, which is all thrilling. I was at the Critics Choice Awards, actually you mentioned earlier that I'm a, a <sighs> member of the Critics Choice And, uh, when she won best adapted screenplay or, um, for that, and it was thrilling, I was in the room with her and it was just absolutely thrilling. And so, yeah, she also had a very, very successful book called run towards the danger, which is a selection of, I believe it was seven essays, maybe eight, seven Mm -hmm. or eight essays Mm -hmm. of things that have happened in her life, really personal things that have shaped her. And uh, so Sarah Polly just operates on a different level (laughs) than anybody else I know. And I feel very grateful to have not only followed her career, but become friendly with her. And she's also happens to be one of the funniest people I know. So you wouldn't necessarily (laughs) think that based on, but she's a very, very funny person. And yeah, I'm, I'm, it's been a wonderful ride to see her on this journey since I first saw the film at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2022. So go Sarah.
1: Yes, absolutely. I can't wait, can't wait to see it. And I hope she wins. The pandemic has had a major effect on entertainment as we know it on everything, as we know it. And as you've said, often in a weekend, the entire success of a film, you could be determined by that opening weekend press junket that you often went to, you would fly down on a red eye, you'd go to these press junkets, to New York and LA to be at the center of it all. And how has COVID affected movies and the way we were to think of the Barbra Streisand, Robert Redford film, if you will, what it was and what it is.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's upended the business in a seismic way, Judy. I mean, you can't minimize... You know, it was the onslaught of streaming. So that impacted, you know, movie theaters themselves were actually closed down for one of the longest bus- businesses that were closed down. So people's habits changed quickly and streaming services took a hold of that. And they said, here's our business that we can come in. So you really saw, not that Netflix wasn't already popular, but the absolute, you know, what are you watching and where are you watching it became a thing. Yes, Um, It still is, I think, a bit of a thing. And that idea of going to see a movie in the movie theater became less of a pastime. People were like, oh, well, I can just watch it at home. Well, I'll just see it at home. We saw major shifts in how studios were releasing movies. You know, Warner Brothers decided in like early 2021 that they were going to release simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. Now, they've shifted that quite significantly, but that was like mind bending that that was happening as quickly as it did. And now even the windows between when somebody is, when a movie is in theaters and when it ends up on Disney plus say are quite narrow. You know, I come from pay TV days when it used to go (laughs) theatrical home video, pay TV, and then conventional television. And that was like an 18 month kind of trajectory. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, Wakanda forever ended up on Disney Plus, was it three months? I'm not even sure it was three months for a huge, huge blockbuster and and such a tentpole movie for Marvel and Disney. So the business has changed significantly. The change is not over. They're still trying to figure things out. In terms of entertainment reporting, most interviews are done via Zoom now, being in the room with people is not happening in the way that it used to happen in my time of doing that job. My job is a bit different now. Um, (laughs) I still do lots of interviews, but not with major film studios anymore. Or for now, I I like to say for now, because we never know.
1: Um, They're going to find a pill, They're they're going to invent a pill that's going to be the preventative medicine. That's what I believe. But I'm I'm an optimist. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we just don't
2: know. I mean, we we, We we just don't know where life is going to take us. I don't Mm -hmm. think there's a week that goes by that I don't say to a friend or my husband or my parents, geez, life's weird. You know, (laughs) you never know what a day is going to bring.
1: I know, eh? I know. It's so true. I say that to me as I'm driving, I'm like, I can't believe this. I've said that phrase so many times. You've said that films like Coda, you can watch on your laptop At home, and it's not a big deal. But there's still films that you want to see, you know, in that big Technicolor, you know, major motion picture way with the popcorn and the whole, you know. Yeah, I mean,
2: I think that you know, even a movie like Coda, I have no doubt that my experience watching it would have been different if I had been in a theater. Mm -hmm, And there are different experiences. And anybody who suggests to me that they aren't they've got a lot of convincing to do. I don't care how big your TV is. I don't care how big your speaker system is. If you're laying down on your couch, you're not sitting in a movie theater. If you are not surrounded by some strangers, you're not in a movie theater. If you (laughs) don't laugh at something because you hear a laugh a couple rows over first, like part of the movie theater experience is a community, is You know, a bunch of strangers sitting in a room together and sharing an emotion. Maybe Mm -hmm. we feel differently. But I I remember seeing the movie Seven back in the day with Morgan Freeman and Gwyneth Paltrow. David Fincher directed it. And at the end of Seven, no spoilers, even though it's, you know, decades (laughs) old. Everybody, I saw it at the Uptown Theater in Toronto. That theater no longer exists. But at the end of that movie, literally everybody was just silent. Mm-hmm. And that is like a communal and experience that is a community yes. all feeling the same thing at the same time yes. that has been manipulated for sure but is art and you just don't
1: get that at home. you just don't it's true it's so true, so true it's incredible. I think streaming has even affected the future of conventional television as we know it. And I want to say about Shit's Creek, and I don't know if I'm a crazy fan of that show. I've seen it. I've seen every one of the season six times. So I once calculated 480 episodes of Shit's Creek. I've interviewed Andrew Barnsley, the executive producer of that program on this show. And uh, I was obsessed. But I think that show belonged in a streaming situation, and it helped everyone through the pandemic. It helped everyone cry together and laugh together, even though they were doing it on their laptops. So my question is about the future of conventional television, with the exception of award shows and reality TV shows, as we know it.
2: Yeah, I mean, things seem to be coming full circle again. People are talking about fast channels. So that is streaming with advertisement. Doesn't that just sound like conventional TV? (laughs) Yes, that's what it sounds like to me. Um, History repeats itself and what we're experiencing now right now in terms of streaming is very similar to what we experienced with digital television when digital TV came out and there was like every channel known to man, there was a knitting channel, there was a, this channel, there was that <laughs> channel and everybody was going to make a trillion dollars on all these channels. Um Well, guess what? That didn't happen because the mm. market can only sustain so much. And now people are starting to look at their bills and saying, wait a minute, do I need all of these channels? Do I need Mm -hmm. all of these streaming services? So I believe that we are going to go back to, I mean, Netflix has a tier that has advertising in it right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge believer in premium content. I work for Super Channel. I believe that Super Channel has amazing content that is worth $10 a month. Yes. But, you know, a lot of these places aren't $10 a month. A lot of these places are a lot more than that. So I think that things are going to come full circle. Conventional television probably has a bit of a problem on their hands. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I would have not thought three years ago that Netflix was going to have an ad supported tier. So what do I know? Again, Life's wow. weird, you know, <laughs> and it's a very, very quickly changing environment. Yes. And there's a lot of content out there. We just heard Kevin Feige, who runs Marvel, say they're going to make less content for Disney Plus. There's going to be less Marvel content, wow. which like, I think is correct. I think that, you know, there's at a certain point, it's just too much. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And nothing is special where I find the special things now are the smaller thing, the things that I find on super channel, like the Brian Wilson documentary, you know, like the Andrea Risborough movie that is coming to super channel in March called to Leslie, which she received a surprise Oscar nomination for. I mean, those kind of smaller movies that don't have these big corporate machines behind them. Mm -hmm. That's where I get really excited and where you're finding some really fresh new voices.
1: That's so cool. I can't get over the red carpets you've been on, some of the celebrities that you've had access to. We mentioned some of them off the top. So would you humor us and me if I shout out a name and you can give us a few words about meeting and interviewing them? And I have to start with one of my dream interviews, Oprah Winfrey. Do you remember that meeting and what happened? Wow. Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Terry Hart and what it was like interviewing Oprah Winfrey
0: when we come back Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days. Remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
1: Hi everyone, we are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740. And just before the break, Terry, I was asking you what it was like when you interviewed Oprah Winfrey. Do you remember that meeting? What happened?
2: So yeah, I, I've actually talked to her two or three times and the first time was for a movie that she was in called Beloved. And I remember what I was wearing. I put a lot of thought into it. (laughs) It was a monochromatic, all purple suit with like a lilac blouse underneath. She told me she liked my suit. Um, and yeah, I mean, you work hard when you're sitting in front of Oprah Winfrey. You work really hard. And she's everything that you want her to be. She's gracious. She's kind. Um, the last time I talked to her was for A Wrinkle in Time. And she was in the room with Reese Witherspoon. And she gave me a, that's a great question, Terry. And oh. I, I almost, not, yeah, you know, <laughs> she makes good TV. She knows how to make TV, Judy. So she makes yeah. good TV. She uses your name. She mm. understands. That everybody walking in there is going to use this on their demo tape. And she actually gives you good stuff. Like she's very generous. So, yeah, I mean, for sure. That was both (laughs) both
1: really amazing experiences talking to Oprah Winfrey for sure. Unbelievable. Thank you for that. You also had a very incredible moment with Ryan Gosling, which made you feel pretty special. And I think made you feel like you'd really arrived, Terry, for the first time that you, that this was it, really it. What happened with Ryan Gosling? The Ryan Gosling that I really arrived that it was it. You He he said, can you step out? Oh,
2: so this is <laughs> actually, that? That, that's, I, I, that's not really what happened. So this was for crazy, stupid love. Uh-huh. which and ryan is a pretty serious actor like he's an actor actor and, and yeah. sometimes maybe the junket experience isn't their favorite thing to do i don't know for sure but that day people were walking out of his interview room and, and looking a bit ash and a bit nervous oh. that things hadn't <laughs> gone so well and so i went in there and i just decided to kind of play loose and fun with him and <laughs> i did so there's a there's a quick cut montage in the movie that of him saying to a bunch of women, Do you wanna get out of here? Do you wanna get out of here? Do you wanna get out of here? And I said, You know, when you have that moment, you have to say that line over and over and over again. Do you practice it in the mirror? Do you say it different ways? Do you? And he just looked at me and he said, Do you wanna get out of here? Oh, and I literally, Judy, I... like I saw a movie star turn it from like, I'm a normal person having a conversation, to I'm a movie star, like 11. And it was just like, my heart skipped a little beat. And I was like, yeah. No, but like, you know, you <laughs> practice. And he was like, No do you want to get out of here? And I was like... I would get out of here. And then I went to reach for my mic and he went to reach for his mic. And then I was like, "Man, I can't, I've got like three minutes left on my time. And it was like buzzkill. And it was, it was a very, very funny moment. I don't think it was necessarily me arriving, but it was definitely a fun moment that, um, again, he played ball with. In these situations, you really are hoping that the person's going to play ball as much as you want them to. And he was, he was playing ball with me at that wow. moment. So it was great,
1: fun. That's so, that's so cool. You've interviewed the greatest actress in the world, Meryl Streep. Do you (laughs) remember that interview? Was that a red carpet? What happened when you (gasps) met Meryl Streep? Good Lord. Yeah, I've
2: interviewed her a bunch of times. I've interviewed her for Florence, uh, Florence Foster Jenkins. I've interviewed her for Music of the Heart. I've interviewed her for like a bunch of, a a few different times. Meryl (laughs) Streep makes a lot of movies. So um, you do have the opportunity and she shows up. She's incredibly humble. She doesn't like to talk about, like, the Meryl Streep and, like, the most, you know, nominated actress in history. She really is, like, she seems like somebody that you could go and have a tea with. Like, she's a very, very easygoing, everyday person that is kind of (laughs) like, all that stuff. No, 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 no. You know, she just... She really doesn't like to talk about all that stuff. And I guess that's what keeps her capable of playing all those different roles is she it. doesn't think of herself as the best. Yes. She just really is there to do the job. I think she works very hard at her craft. Yes. yes. And yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty great to sit in front of Meryl Streep too. She's also stunning. She's really incredibly beautiful yeah interesting yeah wow wow really really beautiful face
1: she doesn't always feel beautiful that's why I find that mm-hmm. interesting I've heard her in interviews saying that when someone didn't think she was beautiful enough but she I agree that she's someone who is very beautiful and you've interviewed her as well and I was like Julia Roberts.
2: Oh, yeah. Again, a few times. Julia Roberts, uh, the first time I interviewed her was the movie that she was in with Brad Pitt and James Gandolfini called The Mexican. And that wasn't my favorite time with Julia Roberts, I got to tell you. But after that, we had lots of fun times and she was delightful and she will laugh. And then... (laughs) all you think about is pretty woman when she laughs that I know time. I um, know <laughs> but yeah she is she's super super famous like when you're around Julia Roberts you kind of really realize like she's really famous wow in a way that you don't I didn't feel that around Meryl Streep you know Oprah you feel like you're around a legend Meryl okay. Streep really does come across as an every person and Julia Roberts is like oh this person is famous I don't know exactly what energy they're giving off that makes them feel those different things, but those are the ways that each of them made me feel.
1: Terry, do you get butterflies before you interview a famous person or any of these stars, like actually where your, your heart is beating and you're like, good Lord?
2: Um. Yeah, I mean, over the years, for sure. Like, you know, you want to put your best foot forward every time. And, you know, there's a lot of things at play, right? You're in a room with... 10 15 other people there are publicists there's hair people there's makeup people there's a lot that can be distracting as well as the fact that you know you've got a limited period of time and you're trying to get what you need to get everybody has a different want in those situations depending on mm-hmm. your outlet depending on the store you're telling all those things sure. so i feel like some of the nerves aren't necessarily about meeting the person or being in the same room with the person it's about wanting to do my job the best way I can. Right. Right. And realizing how many things are up against me doing it well and, um, (laughs) kind of getting beyond all of those obstacles time and time
1: again. Yes. That's the nervous part. I can't get over the who's who list of celebrities, Hollywood royalty, really JLo, Jennifer Lopez. She just seems like a really nice person. Yeah, she she's always been great with me, like always. And we've had lots of fun
2: together. Again, she's on my, my demo tape for Hustlers, uh, which was a movie that many people thought she would get an Oscar nomination for. Yes. I talked to her on the red carpet at TIFF. I've talked to her outside of red carpets also, but at the red carpet on wow. TIFF. Red carpets are a whole different beast, Judy. But on the red carpet at TIFF, and I said to her, you know, one of the one of the things about your character is that she's been underestimated her whole life people and I just kinda of said to her, you know, have you ever felt underestimated? And uh it was a really, really great moment where she just kind of looked at me and it was kinda of like two women looking at each other like, Yeah, you know what you're saying, you know about this underestimation thing. And uh wow. it was a really fun, really cherished moment of like, yeah, you know That was a good question. She responded really well. And you know, those moments where you're like, yeah, I'm good at my job. Like I was good at my job that day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just the best. What is it about red carpets that are so different from the average thing? Is it just that the hype and the excitement and the fact that you've got to do it all in three minutes or? well, nothing's guaranteed on a red carpet,
2: right? So when you're sitting down for a junket interview, you've got your time, you're scheduled, you go in like, yeah, things can go wrong. And every once in a while they do, but on a red carpet, you're standing there for however amount of time they're going to arrive whenever they arrive and you may or may not get them. I tend to have a really big, bold, loud voice and I am good at establishing eye contact, but it's a very, it's a much different, more stressful. All of your colleagues are around you. They can all hear what you're asking, what you're saying. Unlike being in a junket room or an interview room where it's mostly strangers. Right. But when you're standing beside all of the people, I'm specifically referring to the Toronto Film Festival. I've done red carpets all over the world, but most in Toronto. Hundreds and hundreds in Toronto. Yeah, it's just, it's a weird, awkward, pressure-filled you know, they've got somewhere to be. They're the person moving. You're the person staying there versus when you're doing an interview, they stay in the room and you come to the, that changes the power dynamic a little right, bit.
1: Right.
2: So yeah, all of it is, you know, red carpets
1: are a different beast. Wow. You've been on many red carpets with George Clooney including a TIFF. I think you have like a fun rapport with him.
2: Yeah, I've not. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I would like to say it's just me, but it's just George. Um <laughs> he's he's the best of the best. You know, it's no surprises, the superstars are the superstars. They know how mm-hmm. to make good television. They, you know, I use Sandra Bullock as an example often because she just makes great TV and she always did even before she was a superstar and that helped all of us put her on on TV a lot when everybody was watching entertainment shows and helped to make her a superstar and mm-hmm. made her a big box office, you know, because she made great television in interviews. It's a big part of the job. Wow. So a little bit less now with social media as it's, as people are more in control of their
1: brands, but back in the day, it was a big part of the job. That's so cool. I'm going to ask you to someone that I'm obsessed with, my husband's obsessed with, Jennifer Coolidge. Not only her performance in White Lotus, but her Emmy Award winning speech as Best Supporting Actress, her Golden Globe speech for Best Supporting Actress in the limited series. Have you ever met Jennifer Coolidge and what do you think of her?
2: Yeah, I just met her actually at the Critics' Choice Awards. I was ended up in the New York Daily News with Jennifer oh, Coolidge, a fo- photograph of her and I. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's she's a delight. I mean, she I think she has really been a bright light for a lot of people in some really dark times. Mm-hmm. She's tried and tested and true in terms of when she gets on that stage to accept an award. We all expect something fun and light. She seems to be kind of in the crosshairs of Hollywood, but somehow anti Hollywood at the same time. <laughs> yes. She seems to be in on the joke. And that's a fun place for us to watch somebody be. Mm -hmm. And she is, you know, as she said, maybe it was the Golden Globes. I'm not sure, I think. But like she thought it was over and it wasn't over. And I think that that's inspirational as many of us get older and look at our lives and think, what's next? Is there anything next? Jennifer Coolidge is living proof that there could be White Lotus season one and two and all of that.
1: That's so fabulous. Was there a moment in your very illustrious career and, and ongoing that was such an epiphany that you just went, wait, stop, it doesn't get any better than this, pinch me?
2: I, you know, I've been really lucky, Judy. There have been a few. I would say like way back when 1996, like my first year at the movie network, Adam McGuynes, The Sweet Hereafter, I was doing an interview with him and I asked him a question about the movie and he looked at me and he said, oh my God, you got it. You really got it. And that yes. one comment gave me a lot of confidence um, that I didn't have as a 24 year old, as somebody who didn't go to film school, who was just like a film fan and gave me confidence to talk about movies in a way that I didn't have before. He was so generous with that commentary to me in my interview with him. So, and uh, you know, that was a long time ago. Now Adam's become a dear friend, but you know, back then it was, it was a huge thing for somebody who's making really smart things to basically say to you, yeah, you're smart too. And it just gave me a ton of confidence. You know, I hosted before the Genies and the Gemini's melded into the Canadian Screen Awards. Uh-huh. I hosted the pre-show of the Genies a couple of years. And that was really a seminal kind of confidence building and something that made me lean in deeper and harder into the talent we have in this country, which I will always proudly do. You know, I, there's just been, there have been so, I mean, in terms of, that's kind of interviewing and, and movie world but hosting breakfast television the number of times that I did that was a dream and something that I never imagined doing and, and did quite successfully and happily except for that alarm clock I never liked that alarm clock
1: um, <laughs> 230
2: 230 a.m. yeah yep, well Dina yep. does 230 a.m. I never did 2:30 a.m. <laughs> I, I, I timed my day differently than D did um, but yeah, it's, you know, I've had and continue to have really remarkable experiences and uh, continue to like, it's so it's- great. You know, I I say to people all the time, specialize a little bit, like really get to know something. And, you know, I can say I'm macro. I'm a broadcaster. I'm a communicator. Underneath that, you know, I specialize in entertainment. Underneath that, I specialize in movies and TV. Underneath that, I specialize in Canadian movies and TV. And I think that all of those things make me a bit of a... And I'm also, I've always been a producer. So always produced my own content. I mean, I've had producers also, but I I also produce my own content. So, you know, you have to wear a lot of hats
1: to be able to do a lot of things. And I've always liked doing a lot of things. You really are the real deal. I knew this before somehow, but I really see it in this time. Do you have an ultimate dream in this industry that you'd love to achieve, a a celebrity you'd love to interview or a platform you'd love to be part of? Well, I I gotta
2: say, I'm fifty-one years old now. And, yeah. you know, when I was started out in radio at 21, I don't think I would have imagined that I would still be doing this 30 years later. So I think I am living the dream. I've always regretted the fact that I never interviewed Demi Moore. It's just I know it's crazy, right? It's just so I would have loved to have interviewed Demi Moore at some point. I have a really glorious life right now. I have a really fulfilled Filling professional life. Super Channel is such a fun place to work. It's such interesting content. Our programmer, Jackie Party, is doing really, really fantastic things with the content that she's bringing to the channel. And I get to, you know, go through it and look at it. Look, the sun's coming out. Uh I'm I've been so thrilled that you know 640 Toronto has reached out to me and I'm doing some talk radio now. Like, what? Talk radio? Isn't that for like a bunch of really aggressive like men yelling at listeners? Like, i I'm, it's not. I'm doing something different there, and that's fun. Uh so being a part of commotion with Elamine, of course, that used to be Q with Tom Power and now they've split it out a bit. That is just like, you know, oh. being on a national radio program like that is amazing. So I volunteer a lot. I volunteer with an organization called pioneering women. And, and that's really fun. Like I, I used to tell kids, the kids, like, don't do what I did. Don't stay at one company for 19 years. I was at the movie network for 19 years, like bounce around. That's how you get bigger jobs. That's how you make more money. That's how you, but honestly, Judy, I don't think I would change a thing. Mm. You know, I mean, there've been bumps along the way, but I don't think I, cause then I wouldn't be where I am now. And I really love where, I mean, I just was, I just did a Galentine's day at city line with my dear friend, Tracy Moore, like, and, <laughs> and all kinds of other people. Like it's my life's fun.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's like music to my ears. I, you might've already answered this, but I'll ask it anyway. What is bliss for Terry Hart?
2: Uh, daily walks. So yes, movies, yes TV, but daily walks. I, if you follow me on Instagram, I usually post most days just saying hashtag get outside. <laughs> I get outside most days unless it's really awful out or dangerous, like slippery. Then I'll go to the gym and walk. But daily walks have really been great for my head because it can get a little crowded in there sometimes. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so. The daily walks are my bliss. Cooking is my bliss. Um, my parents are my bliss. My husband, my granddaughter, which people are like, what? Your granddaughter? Um, yes, my husband's I'm much good. older than I am. We have a bit of a modern family situation. <laughs> so I have a six-year-old granddaughter, Hannah. Uh, and yeah, I, I've really kind of unbeknownst to me, Judy, cultivated a life that is filled with bliss. Wow. There's not, there's not a lot of things I do that I don't enjoy anymore.
1: It's been delightful talking to you today, Terry Hart. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks, Judy. Have a great day. I'm so amazed
2: that your husband was also from Brantford.
1: That's so great. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Best way to contact you and connect with you on social media? Oh, it's easy.
2: At T E R I H A R T. Just my name. I'm not everywhere. I'm not. I'm so bad at TikTok, but I am there. Better at Instagram. I tweet
1: too much. That's where I am. It's <laughs> wonderful. Thank you, Terry. We're going to go on a short commercial break. Be right back with our amazing singer, Daria Diamond. Back in a moment.
0: Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
1: We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And a little while back, I was scrolling on this very phone on Instagram, and I saw the beautiful singer and vocal coach Marla Joy's post about this up-and-coming, super talented jazz singer, and I was totally blown away. Her name is Daria Diamond, and she joins us now to chat And of course, to sing the jazz song that I heard her sing that just wowed me. I also realized just at this moment, Diamond, she really is a diamond and you're going to see what I mean. She's been compared to Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Eilish, but she really does have a sound that's all of her own. And I predict big things for this singer. Daria Diamond, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. So great to have you here.
3: Thank you so much for having me. So that's
1: really what happened. I think we talked on the phone yesterday, and I said exactly that, right? I was on Marla Joy's page, your teacher. Suddenly there was this girl and that girl was you singing jazz like a champ, like Ella Fitzgerald. And I just couldn't believe how good you were. And when we talked yesterday before the interview, I asked how long you've been doing this because I felt that you've been doing this for your whole life. And you told me you've only been doing it seriously for two months. And I was like, what? Can you tell us what made you shift from singing at camp and in middle school to deciding to really take it seriously?
3: So I think over COVID, everyone was struggling. I was struggling. And I really kind of found my voice through music and like would sit in my bed, play guitar, just sing karaoke versions of songs. And I started to realize how much it was actually affecting me and how wonderful music actually is. And so over the past few months, I kind of reached out to Marla and like started to do singing lessons and like really started to realize the impact that it's having on me. And so that's basically kind of what happened. It's
1: so interesting because your voice has a tone, even your speaking voice, but I really notice it when you sing as well, that is so rich and really beautiful. And I'm sure people have said this to you because you do have that tone thing happening, (laughs) (laughs) which is everything, right? What do you love about singing?
3: I think it's a beautiful way of expressing myself. I think singing kind of has something that speaking doesn't because you can take words and you can speak and you can say all these beautiful things. But when you put a melody to it, it just makes it that much better and that much more special. And you can really like, hear emotion in your voice when you're singing. And I think that that's really special.
1: That's so true. How great is it to have Marla Joy as your vocal coach? What do you love about working with her?
3: Oh my God, Marla is just amazing. I've really only known her for a little bit. She's so much more than just a vocal coach. She really takes the time to like bond with you and like get to know you. And like our sessions and our classes, they're not just singing, they're working through emotions in this music that we do together. And it's just, she's just amazing.
1: She's so cool. And she's an
3: awesome singer too. Yeah. I tell
1: her when you see her, I want her on this show and I know I that it's going to happen one day soon. I hope you've said that music is such an important outlet for people. Why do you think that is? And why does music impact people so profoundly?
3: I think that, that you know, when you hear something on the radio or when you hear an artist or musician singing something that you can relate to. Mm -hmm. It just makes it that much more impactful and powerful to like realize that there's other people in the world that are going through the same stuff as you are and realize you're really not alone. So when you like connect to those lyrics or connect to an artist, it really, you feel something different. It's so true.
1: You've said music is such an important outlet for people and that it affects people so profoundly and all these things are so, so true. You also said, I read somewhere that there are hidden aspects of how difficult or frustrating music actually can be. What did you mean exactly by that?
3: So I think a lot of the time when when people think of an artist and they think of producing music, they think of this really wonderful process of like creating and being creative and like singing and playing music. But I think that there is like a hidden part That's a lot more challenging than people realize because it's really frustrating (laughs) to like try to come up with like a melody or try to come up with, try to hit a note that you don't think you can hit and like not be able to do it. And it really kind of puts you in a space where you're like, oh, damn, like I can't do that. But then when you like work through it, you realize you actually can. And I think that it's like that's a part that a lot of people really don't realize happens. While doing making music and like singing, even, and I just think that it honestly is something that I I like to talk about a lot because there are moments that are really frustrating and really annoying while creating music. Yes, and then it almost those experiences almost make it something more interesting. Mm -hmm.
1: So true. You play a mix of jazz songs and indie pop or indie folk music, and what attracts you to this kind of music?
3: I think. I mean, to me, it's really the emotion of the artist. When you hear like a jazz song, you really you feel the like bluesy atmosphere. You can like really feel what an artist is feeling. You can kind of you feel the vibe of it. And when you're listening to like an indie pop song or an indie folk song, it's not as much about the like music as it is the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And so like it's something that I really connect with.
1: That's so cool. Who are your favorite singers?
3: Is Ella one of them? She actually... So interesting story about that. <laughs> I actually got introduced to her by my grandma, who decided to like be like, Daria, Like, listen, huh? you should be listening to this kind of music. We went on a road trip to Ottawa together, <laughs> and I decided to create a whole playlist of all the songs that she would listen to. And I just, I fell in love with Ella Fitzgerald's voice. Wow. That's so
1: cool. Well, everyone, without further ado, we're going to hear Daria sing, Dream a Little Dream of Me, the song I heard her singing. I want to share it with you. Daria, can you set this up for us?
3: So uh, this is a song that I decided to work with, with my coach Marla and decided that I wanted to kind of put it out for people to hear, for people to hear my voice. And um, yeah, that's kind of.
1: Wow. Well, people heard and here you are. So let's all have a listen to Daria Diamond singing Dream, A Little Dream of Me.
3: Star shining bright above you Hold me tight and tell me you'll miss
1: me while I'm alone and blue as can be. Dream a little dream of me. Oh my God. That was so sensational. I want to hear more. I want to hear more. So, one thing before we go any further, are you going to come back on the show again and sing more for us? Because I I love your voice. I hope so.
3: If you'll have me back.
1: Absolutely. What is bliss for Daria
3: Diamonds? (sighs) Bliss for me is just honestly, like when I hear the word bliss, I think of just something pure and something like relaxing and something beautiful. I think bliss can mean so many different things to so many people. But for me, I think it's just the word that really sticks out to me is just pure.
1: That's lovely. I don't know why, but that kind of choked me up to hear that. So thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. What is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media?
3: So the best way is my Instagram handle, which is Daria Diamond underscore.
1: And just spell that for us.
3: D-A-R-Y-A-D-I-A-M-O-N-D underscore. Awesome.
1: I want to thank you so much, Daria, for being on the show today. It was great having you. And also, I feel like you've been doing this forever. Like when I'm talking to you here, it's just like, yeah, she's just coming here after a couple of other interviews on other radio stations all across. You're an absolute natural. Thank you so much for being here today.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Each week we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or a musician on the show. If you're a singer, please reach out to us. If you're an author, artist, yoga, or meditation teacher, expert, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. Just write to us at FYB at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also Life Coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. I'm also on Insight Timer, which is the number one free meditation app. All you have to do is search up Judy Librack. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank all of our wonderful guests, Terry Hart and Daria Diamond for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie, producer Naira Amani, associate producer Olivia Weatherall, audio engineer Juliana Yanisiello, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Sierra Brown Rodriguez, audio producer Faz Kazi and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. We're going to close out the show today with a short, calming meditation. And here it is. Begin by settling back, just relaxing back into your chair or lying down on a mat or your bed, or you can even stand here if you want to do this as a standing meditation. And just gently close your eyes if it's comfortable. And start by breathing deeply in through your nose and feel your stomach expanding, and then breathe out, letting it all go. One more time, breathing in deeply here, in through your nose, breathing out through your nose or mouth. Good job. And now I want you to imagine the word calm as a color. What color would calm be for you? Imagine if all was calm, what color would that be? Breathe in that color and breathe out any stress or tension. Now imagine your stress as a color. What color would that be? Now simply breathe in the color you imagine for calm and then breathe out the color that represents your stress. Repeat this again, imagining the calm as you breathe in and the color that represents stress as you breathe out. Let's all take super slow breaths here. Breathing in to the count of four. Calm. Breathing out any tension or stress to the count of four. Once more, super slow breath in. Super slow breath out. Now gently open your eyes, smile, and return to your day. And I hope it's a lovely one. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to breathe in calm and take one step closer to finding your bliss.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and
1: The Garden Show.